Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Anna. And I'm Kate. This week, I spoke to James Brown from Fintech New Zealand. Um, Really great chat and coming up, talking about a couple of the key themes that we've actually been speaking about in the last few weeks. So things like financial inclusion, things like um, climate change, which is a big one that we want to tackle within the podcast this series, but we haven't spoken about yet. Um, And James, I think, had some really interesting views around the fact that fintech and, and I guess tech more broadly can really help to solve these big problems that are facing us, not just in banking and financial services, but more broadly as well. And what do you think some of these key problems are that he's looking to address? And I guess how is that different in the New Zealand context, would you say? Yeah, I think New Zealand's quite an interesting market, I guess, for our our global listeners who might not be as familiar with New Zealand. Uh, Very small market. There's only 5 million people who live in in New Zealand, quite a small banking market as well. So I think when we're we're thinking about the fintech scene, um, it's not so much about neobanks and new providers coming in. It's really about having fintech and other tech there to solve really specific issues. So um, James spoke a fair bit about partnerships and how he thinks that tech companies can support larger corporates um, with solving some of those big problems. So while a big corporation maybe doesn't have the time or the energy or the resources to really think about how do we um, fix some of these problems like financial inclusion, a tech company can come in and, and sort of fill that gap and focus on doing something um, something like that really well. Which I thought was an interesting way to think about some of the big problems that are facing us. And um, I guess the other thing actually that James spoke about was the fact that uh, 2020 for New Zealand, given how well they've handled the pandemic, has actually meant a really significant shift around digital. So there's now more interest in digital. There's been quite a rise in digitization, which we're, I think we're seeing around the world as well. Um, but quite a different market, I think, compared to some of the other um, countries in terms of how 2020 has played out as well. I mean, that point around collaboration is really interesting as well, thinking about, you know, if you think about each organisation as an individual, can they make as much impact compared to when they all collaborate. And I Mm. think particularly in the fintech space, there's so much opportunity for these broad partnerships between banks and tech providers and other suppliers. And I think it'd be really looking forward to hearing more about what he has to say about that in the New Zealand context and maybe potentially more more broadly as well. I think it's a pretty good lesson for other um, for other markets and for other companies as well. The idea that you don't necessarily need to be a one-stop shop. You don't need to do everything. You can just focus on doing one thing really well and mm-hmm. then you can partner with other providers who do other things really well. Um, so I think that that, that um, approach is, is pretty specific to New Zealand, but it'd be nice to see it happening in other markets. And New Zealand also is a really innovative country with um, Zero has come out of New Zealand. Um, FBOS has come out of New Zealand. So there's always been this focus on digital and innovation and also on exporting that innovation. Um, so I think we'll see more of that coming out of the New Zealand market in the next few years as well. Yeah, and with the upcoming you know, the travel bubble as well, we might see more Australians going to New Zealand as soon as possible. Yeah, we yeah we spoke a bit about that as well. I'd really love to be able to go over there pretty soon. but. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of other people who are looking at New Zealand as a potential holiday destination. And um, I mean, even globally, the fact that New Zealand has really escaped a lot of the the negative impacts of the pandemic. Mm. Um, A lot of lessons we can probably learn from that as well. Yeah, well, I can't wait to get into this episode. Let's get started. Thanks, James, for joining us on the podcast today. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and about your background before coming to Fintech New Zealand? Cool. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to be here. It's been uh, it's been an interesting journey, I suppose, to arrive at this point. If I track back in time, most of us would have actually uh, been at school and had what I call at least a careers interview. So you have a, a specialist either come into the school or is in the school to talk about obviously what you uh, aspire to be uh, going forward. Um, mine was interesting in that uh, a lot of the subjects I took were, I suppose, problem solving, mathematical type. So accounts, um, economics, mathematics, physics, those types of things. But anyway, I sat down and the lady asked me, you know, what sort of things do you, do you fancy doing? And I was like, well, I really like something that's quite flexible. I would ideally like something that is outdoors um, and something that's, um, you know, quite, quite hands-on. So she sat there and her little, I don't know what it would have been back in the day, uh, maybe a ZX Spectrum, something like that, and put this into the computer and then said, oh, interesting. 
you would be ideally suited to work in a bank. <laughs> so I thought about that and reflected and I thought, okay, so that is Monday, Friday, nine to five, uh, and generally speaking, at least in an office. So that didn't really sort of feel like it was for me at that time in my, my life. Uh, bear in mind, I was still quite young. I was already playing golf at a high level. So I ended up pursuing a career in sport, um, moved from Scotland to England to pursue a career in golf, which some still think is interesting based on the fact that obviously Scotland is the home of golf. But if we fast forward, I uh, did that for nearly two decades and really enjoyed it, traveled the world, met some great people, uh, played with some of the great golfers of our time, uh, and then thought, well, actually, I'm never going to be the next star. I should probably look to do something else. And when I was speaking to some of the members at the course, they were like, well, you've always talked about financial services and there's a lot of bankers at our course. And I used the word carefully there. Um, so I started speaking to them and lo and behold, I found myself working for one of the banks. And my dad actually took great pride in saying, well, if you'd listened to that woman all those years ago, you might actually be running one of these organizations now. So yeah, it's been quite a, it's been quite varied. I tend to try and get involved in things where I either see an opportunity or I try and rise to the challenge. Um, I ended up running a motorbike team in the British Superbikes, um, based on the fact that it was just an introduction to someone who I thought could do with a bit of support. And I rekindled, I suppose, my journey through my golfing days. Uh, and then when I came to New Zealand, yes, I was still working for the banks. But I, um, I also then joined an organization called Transparency New Zealand. Uh, I've always been uh, of the mindset that I think financial services does get a bit of a, a rap, bad rap sheet. Sometimes it's absolutely just. But equally, I think they've got an opportunity to be a little bit more transparent in what we do, how we charge, and things of that nature. And when I was at my last bank, I had this idea that they were known as the, the sort of the technology um, bank uh, within New Zealand and I thought, well, if we if we became the, the sort of the central hub and then we utilize that to speak to government or funding or regulation, uh, tap into the ecosystem, that could be quite a unique uh, proposition for a bank to take that on board. Um, they weren't quite ready for it. And then I sort of met uh, a gentleman that run, uh, runs New Zealand Technology Association. And I showed him my little blueprint uh, and he said, well, that's really interesting. But then his little, um, his uh, briefcase and pulled out something quite similar. And FinTech New Zealand was then born um, some nearly five years ago. What a journey to get there. <laughs> it's been interesting. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or, or is, uh, what, what do you call him? Um, what's the gentleman's name in that movie, Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels? Vinnie <laughs> um, Jones. And at the end of the movie, he said, it's been emotional. It's, um, it's been, been a little bit like that. A bit of a, yeah, a long winding journey. Tell us a little bit about what FinTech New Zealand does. So we are, we're part of uh, NZ Tech or the Alliance, uh, which is now some 11 years old. And within that, there's about 20 plus what I'd call verticals or specialisms. And FinTech is one of them. So we set that up about five years ago. And the idea is we're, we're really the voice of the industry to the best of our ability. We're definitely not a lobby group. Some of our peers around the world, that's what they specialize in. We see ourselves more of a, a partner or a platform or a, or a vehicle for organizations to understand what's going on in the ecosystem, what potential opportunities there are, what uh, challenges may arise, what regulation, good regulation could look like to help innovate. Uh, and then also that sort of that education piece into government uh, and, and, and further parts of government agency um, across, you know, it could be NZTE, MFAT, DIT UK, a whole raft of them, um, but also then the connector. So sometimes it's quite hard, even though we're a small country, everybody thinks that we're one step removed from knowing everybody, not always the case, but equally we actually can be that, we can be the bit in the middle. So when someone's looking for an introduction or they want to understand what new technology is out there, we can we can play a role in that and actually help segment uh, both of those partners together. Um, so lots of plates spinning. Um, so you know you've got one hand over here talking to government, you've got another hand over there talking to regulation, uh, and there's multiple parts of that. You've got another piece over here of the jigsaw talking about data and privacy. 
Uh, and then you've got other plates talking about open banking or what now has evolved to open finance. Uh, and then you have that across different parts of the ecosystem. So it could be fintech related, it could be insurance related, it could be wealth related. Um, and then obviously regulation just sits across all of that. Um, so yeah, I, I do tongue in cheek, uh, sort of get the badge of probably the most connected man in New Zealand. I don't think mm -hmm. that's necessarily true, but certainly within our ecosystem, I would say that, um, yeah, we do work hard um, to help it make it easier for organizations to, I suppose, just do what they do and they do really well. And sounds like quite a, a broad remit and lots, as you said, lots of spinning plates. What is it that you like most about this role? And especially given, as you're saying, the long journey that it's taken you to this role, what is it that you enjoy? I think simply put, um, connecting people with, uh, with a concept. So we've seen the, the sort of the evolution of financial services, actually even before, to some extent, the word fintech was really a thing. Um, so I think it's having the ability to, some people use the phraseology of either work in the business or work on the business. Um, and I would say that I work on the business in that I'm able to sort of, you know, be involved in particular conversations at various levels but then sort of connect the dots with other parts of the wider ecosystem that actually has a positive outcome. So, you know, when we talk about things like digital or, or what was back in the day, financial inclusion, then, you know, how can I sort of put together the pieces of the jigsaw in order to try and actually have a positive impact on that when we're looking at the divide between, I suppose, the rich and the poor or the digitally savvy or not, then I love playing the role of actually, you know, trying to sort of broker the sort of that role or that engagement piece. So yeah, very much see it as a uh, maybe like a partnership um, opportunity where, you know, you're just you're just actually getting the sleeves rolled up and actually helping people on their own journey. And I suppose ultimately actually seeing, you know, a product or a new solution come to fruition actually go to market and actually be successful as well. Um, and I don't mean to say that I'm the one that's coming up with the idea. I suppose I'm the one that's trying to help navigate some of the landmines that some organizations may encounter, I suppose, as they get to that point when they're ready to deploy into market. But, and it's just great fun. And, you know, and in the olden days, I suppose we got to travel a little bit as well. <laughs> yes, I, I agree with that. It was nice um, in my role being able to travel around and, and learn about what's happening in different markets and talk to different people in different institutions, um, which you would assume we'll, we'll be doing that pretty soon. I hope so. <laughs> um, you alluded to before the fact that the, the FinTech New Zealand is different to your peers. And I think the FinTech market in New Zealand, um, from my sort of outward in looking perspective, also a bit different to what we see in other countries and just the size of New Zealand as a country as well plays into that. Um, what do you think the key differences are in terms of the fintech ecosystem in New Zealand? And what are the key challenges that you face that maybe you wouldn't face in other markets? Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I think the opportunity for us really, you know, even although I just said a moment ago about the connected piece, we are, in, we are a nation of people that generally just go on and do things. Um, there, is, there is a positive and there's a little bit of a negative to that. The positive is that it means you just get stuff done and you can get new products and solutions into market relatively quickly and you can actually take it to a global stage. The challenge is sometimes that we don't always have things in place to make it really easy. And historically, there will be a lot of conversation around things like the lack of talent. And it's not because we don't have talented people, it's the talent on mass. So when you have organizations that need to deploy 50 developers, um, that's quite difficult to go and source. And also I think funding, we've talked a lot over the years about the funding and the need for businesses that are scaling to then go offshore. Some make the decision to remain headquartered here, uh, which is fantastic. Others decide actually what's, what's the real need to be there we can just actually headquarter ourselves somewhere else in the world. It could be in the US, it could be in Europe, uh, it could be in Hong Kong, it could be Singapore. But I think with, with COVID and we've, you know, as a nation, we've managed it pretty well. I think it gives us a, a platform. It gives us the momentum 
to think about the role of technology across all sectors. But I, I suppose from my point of view, would focus in on financial services because it really can tackle quite a lot of the sort of the existing problems that not only New Zealand faces, but actually some of you know the rest of the world faces. When I talk about things like climate change, we've seen other countries around the world how they've significantly invested in you know green fintech as a good one. If you look at the UK where they set up the first green fintech bank, they put I think they invested five billion pounds into that for their 2025 sort of strategy. And as a nation that has been known in the past as 100% pure and things of that nature, then, you know, we could leverage all of these things if we can get all of the parties to agree that that's the future that we want to invest in and actually get behind. So it's a good opportunity. I sometimes akin it to a little bit of a, all the pieces are actually on the chessboard. Most of them are talking, some maybe aren't. It's our role, I suppose, just to make it really easy for them to understand the role that it could play to create jobs, drive economic growth, tackle climate change, um, eradicate over a period of time, you know, financial inclusion, uh, and actually give people, I suppose, the opportunity to understand some of the products available to them that will actually benefit them further on down the line. So, you know, what does my retirement really look like? And if you consider statistics that what, um, less than 50% of Kiwis are actually in KiwiSaver and actually a large percentage of them that are in KiwiSaver are in default. So although they're in it, they're actually not maximizing. And that for me then is the role of you know, organizations like ours where it becomes an education piece about what you're missing out on. And then you can start getting into all sorts of other things like gender and pay gaps. Um, you know, Two people doing the same job getting paid significantly different what what's the where's the tr the stress test on that about what that looks like 30 years down the line um you know we can easily say oh there's it's only a nine percent difference it's nine percent as we keep stand here and now but 30 years down the line that could be very very significant and have a major impact on the way that people want to live their lives as they move into retirement some of those um topics you've mentioned are obviously really big challenges which not just specific to New Zealand, but we see that all around the world. Um, I'd be curious to know what you think the role of, of fintech is versus incumbent providers. And I know in New Zealand, there's a lot of focus on on partnerships. Um, is that how you see those challenges being solved? Yeah, I mean, I, I think incumbents, I suppose, um, you know, have been challenged. If I track back uh, four years ago, roughly, where when sort of fintech became a real thing, there was a lot of noise in the media about, oh, you know, fintechs are coming, uh, you know, they, they're going to uh, do away with banks, uh, they're going to make it easier for to, you know, do transactions and things of that nature. And what, what I suppose, simply put, both parties recognize that I'm an incumbent, I've been around a long time, I've got quite a significant customer base, you're a fintech, You've got a great product, but you have no customers. So I think the the sort of the realization and, and I sort of, you know, I use the example about a little bit like DNA. So if I'm a bank and let's say my bank is yellow, then my DNA is yellow. But as a bank, I also know that parts of that end-to-end um, -end process, whatever product it may be, doesn't really actually satisfy the customer's requirements we could do it better, requires investment and you know change and all that type of thing. But because of the way that technology has now evolved, what we can do is we can just remove that little bit of that DNA and we can just plug in a FinTech or an InsureTech or a WealthTech or a tech. And all of a sudden the consumer or the customer's perspective of that interaction is improved greatly. So I think that's where we're, we're starting to see a real evolution. And, you know, over the last couple of years, and I suppose I'm fairly lucky where I get to hear a lot of the projects that are working or being worked upon behind closed doors. But if you look in the market in the last 12 months or so, trade window with ASB, taking an equity share in a blockchain company. If you talked about that a few years ago, that would have been, you know, people would have laughed at you. 
uh, Westpac and a carbon orientated organization like Kogo coming out of the UK with Ben and his team. And then you've got Ada and ANZ and card providers all buying into the fact that what we set up to do when they set these businesses up 10, 100 years ago was to provide solutions to your customers and actually make that interaction, that experience um, user-friendly, but actually simple. So I think the adoption of technology and partnerships, co-design, co-collaboration, whatever you want to call it, we will see a lot more of that in 2021 and it will just accelerate continually beyond that. I'm not a huge fan of the word exponential, but it does sort of put it in perspective. I think that we will see that take place on a global scale, I think mm -hmm. over the next few years. Yeah, I think that's what really interests me about FinTech, that ability to really get to the heart of customer problems, which I think, as you said, larger organizations don't always have the ability or the time or um, the people to focus on. Um, the other question I wanted to ask you about in, in terms of the the last 12 months, and I think we have to talk about the impact 2020 has had on um, on the fintech industry. Um, how much of a, of a challenge has that posed to the fintech industry, to the, the financial services industry more broadly in New Zealand? Um, do you think that it's caused us to make positive changes that perhaps we wouldn't have otherwise? What has been the negative impact in your opinion? Great question. Um, and I, I found myself when I was on uh, one of the breakfast programs a little while back and I was asked a similar question. You know, I really did want to, you know, sort of like jump up and go, oh, the tech sector's booming. Wow, we're, you know, we're hitting it out of the park. But then you've got to be mindful that, you know, people are suffering around the world. People have lost their jobs. You know, people have lost their lives. However, the tech sector actually in New Zealand has gone extremely well, extremely well. And organizations that, let's say, had a, a clear line of sight about launching into the market found themselves pivoting ever so slightly, but getting to the market much quicker because the demand for technology uh, actually increased significantly. You know, there was a lot of conversation in the media over the last number of years about moving to a cashless society. But when COVID arrived, guess what? We went cashless literally overnight. Um, the increase in pay wave or, you know, touch wave uh, also increased and it just made everybody's life that much easier. So I think we are, we're going great guns. I mean, if I look at the optics of, I suppose, things that have underpinned our economy previously to what's going on in the technology sector and then break that down into subsectors like FinTech, um, we're, we're going really, really well. And I think that will continue for some time. The last statistic I think I saw uh, the sector, the global fintech sector, was some valued at somewhere in the region of uh, US, US dollar, uh, five, five and a half thousand billion. So the reality is it's a marketplace that is constantly growing, evolving. And because we can deploy relatively quickly and we can export relatively easily, it's only going to continue, I think, in, in that vein. And that's the bit, I suppose, where... If there was ever a, if there was ever a concern from from my perspective, it would be that if, if New Zealand's not careful, then it, it could miss out on some of that because I suppose I look at the optics of of other industry sectors. You know, we talk about dairy, we talk about agriculture, we talk about tourism, and even a little bit before COVID, some of the optics around those areas actually were in decline. Um, Q four. Last year, red meat exports to China were down 26%. Um, this year, beef, lamb, and mutton have all significantly reduced. You know, there's more meatless meat products on the market. There's, you know, there's less alcohol being drunk. There's more non-alcoholic bars opening up in places like America. So I just, I suppose I sit back and start to think, well, if these are the things that we've relied on previously and they're no longer there, then how are we plugging that, that big hole in the Titanic? Um, and, it, and if you look at tourism, we did say that we hope obviously international travel will come back and it will, but will it come back to the extent it did previously? So, you know, do tech companies in New Zealand 
need to get on a plane to go to Silicon Valley to pitch their business. Some still will, but some may not. So mm. therefore, the overall number of international in and out will definitely drop. Um, and I just see that actually as an exportable product, then fintech is really easy to do that. And, and you know, we could follow in the same footsteps as other countries around the world who've done this and done this really well because they've had industry, government, and regulation all come together with the same narrative about what the opportunity is and why we want to support that. That's That would be my only concern from a, a New Zealand Inc. perspective. Yes, I think it's... The way that we've, the way that we all work has changed so much over the last twelve months. I think we we're all going through that um, realization that you don't need to be in person as much as you used to, and that I mean a lot of this is facilitated by technology, but the ability to have meaningful uh, meetings and conversations and um, and and do meaningful work and co collaborate across markets um, is something that you know I don't think we would have got to as quickly without the last twelve months. Yeah, and then, and you know, from a, and this is where you've got to be careful from a digital adoption perspective. COVID was also fantastic for it because, you know, we're talking about moving to more digital and interacting with more digital devices, let's call it. But you've also got to bear in mind that not everybody in New Zealand and not everybody around the world has access to some of these things. If you look at the, the numbers around what we call the unbanked, you know, it's in the significant millions. So you've also got to be careful that when we moved to things or we, we, we want to adopt, you know, more or newer technology, then you're not actually leaving people behind. That's, that's the sort of the, that's the, the key balance. And, and I've always been of the opinion that the, the technology is the sort of, you almost use that to enable to address certain things. So if I talk about, you know, the move from financial literacy to digital literacy, then that's, that is something we, we have to be mindful of that, you know, COVID has created, but it has a, both a positive and a negative if we don't, uh, if we're not aware of it and we don't address it as well. It's a great point. I think that, you know, we have that conversation a fair bit. You spoke about um, pay wave contactless going up in, in our data. I think over, I think it was just six months to our May survey, we saw the biggest ever increase in contactless usage that we had seen. And that would have been picked up with that immediate change would have happened right before May. Um, and you know, people going online and doing more banking online, but you're right, you can't forget that there are people who rely on branches, who rely on cash. And while, especially those of us who work in the industry, and I'm one of those people who uses Apple Pay for everything, you have to remember that not everyone wants to, to move that quickly. And while it might create a better customer experience for those who are ready to go there, you can't leave people behind either. Mm. And I think that's an interesting one, isn't it? I mean, how many businesses do you go into that don't have PayWave? And then you ask the question, why not? It costs. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of research and you, you know, your organization will have, you know, an abundance of it. Um, you know, if you've got the right level of foot traffic, one may argue that actually it's better for your business, but it's how do you, how do you bring that sort of level of insight and then the education piece for a business, a small business owner to understand that actually it's a really good investment. Um, I mean, I've been challenged on it lots of times when I've been in, um, you know, restaurants or, uh, you know, the supermarket and stuff. And it's like, well, can't you just give it away for free? Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting thing that, you know, we will continue to debate that is there, is there a different way of doing it? But also we're seeing organizations launch in New Zealand um, that may actually fill that gap. Mm. So that, you know, that's the bit that I suppose will be interesting to sort of just keep an eye on about how that evolves and also actually I suppose how some organizations choose to maybe readjust their business proposition so if I think about you know you could think about uh, buy now pay later schemes you know well what what's the impact on credit cards um, mm. have people moved more towards that are they using you know less of their credit card than what they were previously so it's all of these things that we're continuing to see, you know, evolve within the financial services sector that gives the consumer more options and more choice. And ultimately, I suppose that's where open banking or, well, what we now call open finance, um, that's, I suppose, the, where we want to move it to, to give greater choice, greater transparency, um, create more com competition, bring new products and solutions into market. 
So that, that all becomes very exciting. Agree. I'm a big proponent of the the fact that consumers will change their behavior if there is a better product, a better solution, and we see that I think all the time. Yeah. Um, and yeah, pace of change is is just accelerating as well. So all of those new innovations that you spoke about will just continue to change consumer behavior. Yeah. Um, the other question I wanted to ask you is around. New Zealand and, and differences compared to other markets globally. Um, what do you think other markets could learn from New Zealand? What do you think are the key things that, given New Zealand is so small and, and dynamic and all of those advantages that you have, what would you recommend to fintechs or um, or people working in tech in other markets? Uh, I mean, we, we can learn a lot, uh, but equally, I think other other countries can also learn from from New Zealand. I mean, you know, if you go back in time when our remoteness was actually potentially a barrier, the, you know, someone came up with a great idea of creating a refrigerated ship, which they, they built out of Dunedin. And as far as I'm aware, actually, it was a Scotsman. Uh, but you probably need to just check your facts on that. Um, so they recognized that actually, you know, to get our products to a greater portion of the world, we need to, we need to come up with a solution. Then you fast forward into things like FPOS, and it was the same sort of concept. It was good timing. You had the right people in sort of in that age where they all came together as the collective uh, and they just got it done. Um, again, you know, no messing about, just agreed that that was the right thing to do and off it went. And, and now it's just something we just not take for granted, but it's just an everyday society. When you travel the world and you ask people where it originated from, I find it quite interesting of the answers and it's not always New Zealand. Um, you know, as I was saying to someone just the other day, you know, zero, um, or great organization, um, fantastic what they've achieved. Sometimes though, people actually think it's a UK based company. So I think what we can, what we can also learn is when we do it and we do it really well, it's not about, um, beating the chest and, you know, being arrogant, you should, dare I say it, I think it's just about getting very clear on the narrative of we saw an opportunity, we solved a problem, and it wasn't just for us, we did it actually for the greater good, i.e. for the rest of the world. Um, equally though, what can we learn? We can learn that sometimes it's quite good to chase. So if I use maybe Singapore, probably what, seven, six, seven years ago, they put that big stake in the ground around sort of fintech. Uh, and you can just imagine the sort of the, you know, the room filled of regulators and full of industry bodies and people, uh, key stakeholders, government, etc. And they went, right, we think this is a thing. But what does it look like from our perspective? What does it mean for an everyday Singaporean? Um, what are you going to have to adjust, Mr. Regulator? to allow these really, really smart people to go out and do some crazy stuff that actually is going to solve, you know, problems for us, but problems for everybody else around the world. And then Mr. Government, what's going to be your message? What, what are you going to tell people? Why are you doing this? Because you might get some quizzical looks about why you want to get behind it. So I think what, what I take from, from our history, but also actually I suppose in today's society is that we, we have generally found ways to overcome and punch well above our weight. And it's very easy to default to people like the All Blacks. But the reality is we see their methodology and their approach to things uh, in, in the sort of the, the technology and in the fintech ecosystem. That, you know, working cleverly with people, diversity of thought, inclusive behavior, um, I remember, you know, working at ASB and we were told the story that there's no hierarchy in, in the All Blacks. Uh, but when they go away at breakfast, that they sit with a, a collared shirt on. And this was back in the day when Richie was actually the captain. And he came down, I think he'd been at the gym from, from memory, and he had a, like a singlet on. And one of the juniors had just joined the team, sort of tapped him on the shoulder and said, Mr. McCaw, actually, you need to go upstairs and put a collared shirt on. And he went, oh, yeah, I'm really sorry. And off he went. So I think that ability to just, you know, not be afraid that we are all just human beings trying to get things done, that you can tap people on the shoulder 
in a low, I did say about the connected piece, you can relatively easily pick the phone up or reach out to someone that has either paved the way before you or is paving the way uh, and ask them questions about how they went about certain things. And we can accelerate some of this product and solution and new orientation into the marketplace, which is really exciting. Um, but I think what we're seeing now is that the world is actually looking to New Zealand about the way we've managed COVID. And we're not the only country that's managed it well, just, you know, just to be clear. But I think the way we've done it and the approach and the continuous updates, keeping people informed, uh, whereas I think other nations around the world have done a very poor job of that, or they've done a very poor job of keeping the message consistent. I think we've done that really, really well. So I think that just, for me, it, it comes back to what is the narrative? And if we're all saying it, then it's really easy to get behind it. So that's how I see us being able to share and us being able to learn at the same time. Yeah, I think that that leads me quite nicely on to my next question. And, and you spoke about the, the big problems or the big issues that you think fintech and tech and, and collaboration can help to solve. So financial inclusion, climate change, um, obviously really big, big meaty issues. Um, is there anything that you think needs to change in order to tackle those big problems or anything that you would like to see um, change in order to sort of pave the way for fintech and for tech more broadly to start to really tackle those big issues? It's, um, again, another fantastic question. I think the challenge is, at least from a New Zealand perspective, that I think that governments, I won't say just any one particular government, and you know, I'm no expert on obviously our political history. The simple fact is, I suppose I look at it and that there's been a lot of investment in key sectors um, for decades. And, and that's absolutely fine. And they've, they've done a great job. But I suppose what I feel has never been addressed is the impact of certain sectors on climate the impact on certain, from certain sectors on water contamination. So I think that we can start to look at alternatives and is there a role then around things like FinTech? And if we start to consider where we, we see investment made in green or renewable energies, then we start to actually question possibly the return and what I mean by that, so if you go back to uh, the, back in the day when things like the Panama Papers uh, happened and the questions were being asked about where organizations were investing their, their customers' money. Uh, and we were sitting back saying, oh, that's great, excellent. I'm in a fund, I'm getting 14% return, that's fantastic. Rarely were we asking questions about what that money was being invested in. Now there's a lot more transparency and we have, technology at our disposal that makes it really easy for us to go and do some due diligence on a personal basis organizations have to be really clear about what they are willing to support and get behind so i think for me if if you think about the, the future and bear in mind that every organization every government department every regulator everybody in the world will touch financial services to some extent even if you don't have a bank account, you still touch cash. You know, back in the day, we talked about moving away from checks. Well, you know, Kiwi Bank did that before COVID was even a thing. They just said, too expensive for a very small proportion of our, our customers and in, in the organization. So I think that's where I see FinTech very specifically playing a huge role in making us aware of what our money is doing what it's supporting and tackling some of those things around climate because you know gas and oil and coal will they be around forever well we've already seen the signs that they're already in depletion so if we're in, still investing in them for a higher return is that really ethical is that the right thing to be doing or should we be considering alternative cleaner renewable energies that actually will sustain us for the future. And I think because money is a thing, then we can utilize the financial services sector or the FinTech 
technology in order to be really, really clear about how we actually do that. Um, and I think then when someone's considering where to put their money, then they've got more options and more information that will allow them to be informed and actually, I think, feel more comfortable about the decisions that they actually, they actually make. And the reality is, I suppose, you know, that this is about, I suppose, using technology to work towards, I suppose, a, a, better, a better society. Um, you know, when we give people options, they feel better about themselves. So that all of a sudden you think, wow, FinTech's actually tackling health and well-being. It's tackling climate change. Where if you'd gone back a number of years ago, there wouldn't have been the connection. But I think we're very clear now about the role that it can actually play. And it goes back to what we were talking about just a moment ago around this inclusive piece as well. Mm. That, you know, we not everybody in the world has a smartphone, not everybody in the world has a laptop, an iPad, all these types of things. But you have seen, again, a similar mentality where we'll just find a way. Payments being done by text messaging in parts of Africa. So, you know, as, as the more, I think, we are able to share some of this learning, some of these insights, the more different parts of the wide, the global ecosystem will evolve, which in my opinion, can only be a good thing. I think it, it all comes back to a couple of key things that you've been speaking about, transparency and trying to solve customer problems and keeping that at, at front of mind. It is, and look, I mean, I'm, I'm not gonna, um, uh, choose any one particular organization, but I suppose I'm, I'm in uh, the camp where, you know, having worked for nearly two decades in financial services where I've heard things like, uh, you know, uh, we, we are uh, a three-point relationship type organization um, here to support your business. Um, you, we are customer-centric. It's all about you, you know, all these types of things. Having worked in, in these organizations, unfortunately, you know, dare I say it, we sometimes are a byproduct of process. Mm. Um, and that's, look, the, you know, organizations don't set out to achieve that. It's just the evolution of the scale. And, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, big organizations and their legacy systems and how their data doesn't talk to each other. They can't extract it. If they can't extract it, then how do they understand it? You know, what does that all actually mean? Um, that's that's the sort of the, the challenge, I think, that we've got to get back to, you know, customer, you know, upfront um, and be very, very focused on that. And if you look at some of the regulation that's now coming down, where it's that sort of suitability and the sustainability of products, whereas, you know, you might, you might take out an insurance product at the age of, you know, 21, uh, and you might not really do anything with that. You might claim on it on the odd occasion, but you know, 20, 30 years down the line, have you reviewed that? Um, is it still just operating in the background? Is it suitable? You know, you're married now, you've got kids, you've got a bigger house, you've got a bigger mortgage, you've got a couple of cars, you know, all sorts of things. So we also have to look at, you know, we talk about products, but is that product fit for its purpose for that particular individual. And that will be driven by data, having the ability to extract the data in order actually to manage that and create the sort of what I'd call the financial portfolio around that customer is now gonna become much more important going forward. Um, and that's, what's, that's where I suppose that piece of the transparency element really kicks in because you know a customer should be completely aware of the products that they've got, why they've got them, if called upon what they actually do cover and therefore the price that they actually pay. And a really, really, really simple example, which some of your listeners and viewers I'm sure will be aware of is the PPI situation in, in the UK, payment protection insurance. So I remember being back in the UK when this all first kicked off and you went in for a particular product that could have insurance on it. Doesn't mean you, it was necessary or mandatory. But what was actually happening because people were, let's say, incentivized that they would go through that um, uh, process uh, and at the end of it, because they were incentivized, they would tick the box for insurance. But you, when you were going through, you were like, okay, I'm going to take a 20 grand loan. 
uh, over five years going to cost me X. Fantastic. Sign the documentation. It goes away to be processed. And then a few days later, you get a copy of that in the post. So you look at it and you're like, okay, that's fantastic. Oh, I thought we agreed $500 a month. What's, why is it now $518? Oh, $18 for insurance. But I didn't, I didn't want insurance. In fact, we didn't talk about insurance. So you make the phone call. What's, what's this? Well, you're taking out a loan of $20,000. It's quite significant. I thought it would be a good idea for you to have insurance. And you get the response. Yeah, actually, that's a good point. Leave it on. No, I don't want it. Take it off. No, I don't want it. I want to make a complaint. So the, the, you know, the UK government is basically saying that by the end of the, the whole situation, which has been going on 10 plus years, I think, it'll have cost the nine banks out there about $100 billion. So that's for me where incentivization around products um, should definitely not be a thing. Uh, but equally, you've got to be very transparent about the product that you're signing up for and what it will do. Insurance is another one. You know, I mean, I've, I've made insu two insurance claims in the house that I'm sitting in right now. And it sounds really cynical, but I already knew the answer before I asked the question, which was, you're not covered. Um, so I think there's an opportunity to almost reinvent insurance that actually it's not just there for when things go wrong. Actually, it can actually be, it can be actually a positive um, and we've seen organizations work towards that, like AIA and, you know, the, the Vitality program. You know, if you're leading a healthy lifestyle and you're eating well and you're not drinking and you're not smoking, then it actually change your premium uh, in terms of redu reducing it. So therefore, it has a positive impact. So I think all of these things are available to us if we choose to, I think you mentioned the word earlier on, adopt them. Yeah, and as you said, as we have more data and more ability to make things that are really actually personalised for a customer rather than here's the best fit product, um, that starts to change the game as well. Um, yeah, and yeah. I think, you know, customers will have to become a little bit more comfortable in, in let's say, the data they share. Um, I caveat that ever so slightly, though, because most people will be on Facebook and, and other mechanisms where they sign up for things, you get the little bit that pops up and says, do you accept these terms and conditions? Well, of course I do. It's Facebook. Hey, why wouldn't I? You've got no idea what's going on with your data behind that. So when we move into the evolution of what we call now open finance, you'll have a bit more control about how much or how little information you want to share, which in theory will drive a positive outcome whatever that conversation, you know, is pertaining to, to discuss about a, an insurance product or a wealth product or any other product as well. So, um, yeah, we were, I think we're on a, we're at the precipice, I think, and COVID's helped us get there quicker, where, you know, real change is now gathering massive momentum. Um, and I think that because of the way we've managed COVID, we're, we're on that springboard and we've got a lot of momentum it's not as bouncy as it once was. It's slowing down a little bit. And I think that's the leverage that we could use to tell our narrative about what we're very good at and why I think that New Zealand could quite easily be another tech hub around the world. And we could actually leverage some of our partnerships. So like the free trade agreement discussion at the moment between the UK, the deeper agreement we've got with Singapore, Chile, and now Canada. Um, you know, let's think a little bit more strategically about how we use those partnerships. You know, the Khalifa report that came out about the UK and Brexit and COVID and the potential impact of their tech sector, specifically their fintech sector. Well, you know, we could definitely house some of that capital. And we'd be definitely welcome and open to some of that talent arriving on our shores as well. And all of that then actually just bolsters what we're already good at. Um, and all of a sudden, New Zealand becomes a, a bit of a, a little powerhouse uh, in something, I suppose, you know, 10 years down the line. We're still very good at other things, but actually we're exceptionally good at technology and fintech. That, I think, would be really exciting. And it's a beautiful place to live for those people who do want to come over and be involved in the fintech industry in New Zealand. And, and look, and the other thing, we haven't really talked about it too much. But, you know, government talks a little bit about um, supporting rural. 
Well, the reality is now, and this is with my other hat on around the four day week, we can work anywhere, anywhere we want. So we are now seeing a little bit more gravitational pull to places like Queenstown. Uh, you know, I don't need to be in Wellington. I don't need to be in, in maybe Auckland. Yes, it might be where most of my customers might be, but I can jump on a flight and I can go and see them. Or actually, I might just Zoom them or Microsoft Teams them. Um, but what I suppose where I'm going with that is that there's also, again, the narrative that could be created to tell the rest of the world that actually, you know, you're working in a city at the moment. Do you really want to come to New Zealand and work in a city? You might not. But actually, technology and actually a community of thriving founders and entrepreneurs, it's dotted all over our country. So actually, if you and your family really like skiing, you might want to go down south. If you and your family really like, um, you know, getting out and about and tramping, you might choose somewhere else. But the reality is we no longer need to draw people into Auckland and Wellington and Christchurch. You can go anywhere you want. And all that becomes the bit for me from a, if I was in government, quite exciting because actually you can deploy this resource um, any, anywhere in the country. And that, you know, when we were down in Queenstown a, a little while, about five weeks ago, we took a hundred companies down there for our FinTech Huey. And one of the things I said to the mayor, um, cause obviously they've been devastated um, uh, about obviously the sort of their, their loss in revenue through international tourism, billions of dollars. But equally I said, why don't you walk to government and actually start talking to them about incentivization around attracting companies to Queenstown in the tech sector. Similar to what maybe like Ireland did. Ireland's a little bit different. It was a lot around tax, but you could quite easily do that. Now, if they did that, I would be curious to see how many organizations would say, let's just host our team actually down in Queenstown or Dunedin or wherever it might be. Um, and we could easily, easily deploy that. You know, we've got big, big data centers coming to New Zealand with some really large global organizations. If things were in place, you could put that anywhere. Um, and that becomes, I think, quite an exciting prospect for supporting rural, creating jobs. And if you pin that um, also to like it from an educational point of view around like micro credentials, where a builder, just picking on a builder, could pivot into the tech sector. So rather than studying a degree for four years, they just do a series of micro credentials, bring them up to speed with technology and lo and behold, boom, they're, in, they're into a slightly different phase of their career. That's when I start thinking, you know, we've got some unique opportunities here, but are we, are we joining the, the dots? Um, I think we are in some cases, but in that situation, that scenario, not quite so sure. You've given me a lot to think about. Um, lots of really great points and a lot of um, interesting topics covered. Thank you so much for your time today and, and for joining us on the podcast. My pleasure. Great to speak to you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Global Digital Banker podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify and Podbean.